All right, welcome back everyone to another Inform with Anthony podcast and this uh, week's Let's Talk, we have guest here, Anthony Tremino, who ran for governor of uh, California. Thanks for, for, for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, it's past the midterms. It is Wednesday, November 16th. Donald Trump announced yesterday. Yeah. What is what does the GOP look like right now to you? What, what, what do we need to get done? Scattered. We need it. What we need to get done is I think uh, somebody said it yesterday. They were saying the GOP is dead. I've been saying that for the last 12 months when I was running the CA GOP is dead. Right. Um, the GOP, as we know, it is dead. It's no longer relevant. And it needs to be resurrected. It needs a brand refresh. It needs new faces. It needs to get back to its roots. It needs to uh, appeal to a younger audience like the Gen Zers. Uh, it's, it's basically dead. It needs to be resurrected. That's what we were attempting to do in my campaign. That's what I think still needs to happen nationally, but definitely here in California. Uh, it's dead. It needs to be re- resurrected. Yeah, that was uh, Senator Josh, Josh Hawley, I think, out of Missouri, mm-hmm. that actually publicly said that. I was yeah. kind of surprised. And I think he actually also voted against Mitch McConnell as uh, to be the Senate Republican leader. I don't think we should be surprised anymore. I think we're just coming to the realization that the reality of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. the bottom line is how can you say it's alive? How can you say it's thriving? It's it's no longer relevant. Uh, People are aging out of the GOP. You know, we, we literally went up and down the state. And the audiences got older and older. And I kept saying, where's, where's the youth? Where's, where's the bench? We need a deeper bench. And we don't have one. So it's dead. It needs to be resurrected. There needs to be new life pumped into it. And we need to get some of the people that are in there out. And, uh, and I think get people outside of politics into politics for short periods of time and, and to create relevancy again. And that's what, again, that's what we were attempting to do. So you brought up a good point, uh, you know, poll after poll, uh, exit polls coming out of the midterms are showing that Gen Zers went overwhelmingly mm-hmm. Democrat. Um, I, I think that it's a demographic that was probably forgotten uh, by the GOP. Well, I'll be very honest. I think almost every demographic has been forgotten by the GOP. And, and I, you know, I definitely agree with the sentiment that, you know, there needs to be a revival of the party. I think that it's really easy for people to just kind of call out, um, we don't want to get censored. So maybe voter irregularities, I guess sure. we can leave it at that. Uh, but when you look again at the polls, uh, the, the, the statistics don't really lie, you know, and, and you have Gen Zers who were out there organizing. You have David Hogg, who is like an anti-Second Amendment activist, you know, uh, he is Gen Z. Uh, right when Roe v. Wade was overturned, uh, he, or, he helped organize uh, in 45 different states, you know, rallies. And so I went to the one that was being organized here in Los Angeles and all I saw was Gen Zers mm-hmm. and they were being registered to vote. I interviewed Gen Zers. They're saying this is going to be my first election and this is what I'm voting on reproductive rights. Now it's interesting cause it's in California here. We just passed prop one, which allows abortion up until nine months. Mm-hmm. Right? So why would people be out there protesting in Los Angeles against this? And it's because they're very passionate. And so you talked about this with your campaign, how you just didn't see them out there. Looking back, what do you, well, what would you have done differently to kind of attract the Gen Zers? I think we had started to. I, I think that we understood right out the gate that the GOP was, was aging out, no longer relevant. We weren't inspiring the youth. And, you know, in business as an entrepreneur, I mentor youth all the time. So I understand that we need to create a deep bench, even within my own family. Obviously, I have 
you know, kids that fall within the Gen Z category. So we were always talking about how to make our campaign relevant to them, their friends, people they know. And so it was always top of mind. It was always something we were considering, thinking about our branding, our messaging, where we went, how we went out, the things we spoke about, the things we touched on. The, you know, I, we had one of the best ground games. Yeah, you did. Well, we have the best ground game in California by far. A lot of that was because of other generations that had been left behind. The Gen Zers, we had people younger than Gen Zers. You know, I have kids as, as young as, at the time, 15, all the way up to 25. So they were my focus group, right? I'm in advertising. I look at analytics. I look at data. So they were, they were you know, we were creating focus groups around, you know, what should we be talking about? What matters? What, what is going to inspire people to care about voting? And so we were creating content. We were going out there. And a lot of those Gen Zers were part of our ground game and part of the reason why we were showing up on campuses. So you had mentioned yourself that we had one of the best ground games you had ever seen. Charlie Kirk said the same thing. He was speaking at uh, Cal State Fullerton. He's like, Tremino has by far the best ground game of anyone I've seen in oh, years. Okay. Yeah. So, and he was talking about the fact that he, was he at Stanford? That he walked onto the campus of Stanford and he's like, and there's a, a Tremino, like, yeah, it, like there's a group of, you know, so Team Tremino, would... there was a booth. He's like, I couldn't believe, like, mm-hmm. I walk onto the campus of Stanford and there, there are people advocating. Uh, and, 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 you know, having dialogue about Torino, he's like, it was incredible. Well, that's all part of that group, right? So we were, we were completely aware of what we needed to do and what we needed to accomplish. So I don't know that I would have done anything differently. We just needed, to, we just needed you know, uh, to expand. Right. Timing was probably an issue. I will we'll eventually talk about it. You know, there, there was one tipping point in the campaign that sealed it, and that was the endorsement by the CEO GOP. Mm-hmm. And part of that was because you know, the audience that they appealed to are those kind of aging out of the GOP audience. And so I attribute kind of the nail in a coffin to that exact event, and we'll get into it. Mm-hmm. But the Gen Zers, I think we had done a good job of, of inspiring them. They were our kind of militia out there on the streets. And I think that that is a good case study for what, can, what needs to happen locally here in California and across the nation. You know, excuse me. I think that with with your campaign, I saw a lot of you're right, a lot of grassroots. I saw a lot of people out there in ways like Charlie Kirk said that I had never really seen before that people were so animated. People were very enthusiastic. People again, I I saw what I see in the political left in your campaign, not in a bad way, but but I mean, like people that are truly passionate and would go to any event and it was like any event that I went to, someone from the Tremino campaign was there. And that's why in my mind, I was like, man, this guy's got it by a landslide. There, there was – so what we established was something bigger than us, right? Mm-hmm. It was a movement. It was built on a philosophy that we were fighting good versus evil, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there are people that will say, you know, social media is not king. Social media is not going to get you elected. You can't just – and they, they literally convinced themselves that somehow our campaign was entirely dependent on social media. You just said it. Charlie just said it. Nothing could be farther from the truth. If you only know our campaign by social media, you weren't looking hard enough because our ground game was by far the best ground game of any candidate running in any race. And why? Because we created a movement around an idea, an idea that had nothing to do with me, had nothing to do with me, it had everything to do with 
good versus evil, in fighting injustice, right? Taking down Goliath, fighting the system. That meant something to people because it wasn't attached to a political campaign. It wasn't attached to a politician. It was attached to an idea that somebody that didn't need to get into politics was going to put his family, his business, everything at risk to go advocate for families that, that he doesn't know, all on the premise of wanting to be a light in the darkness, right? People can attach themselves to something good and something pure. And that's what we were, we were out there fighting for, something good and righteous, right? And so we were able to create a movement of people and they attached themselves to it. We expected it to happen. We did not expect it to happen at that level. There are people still today taking pictures of their cars with my sticker on them, taking, sending me pictures of them still wearing the shirts. Um, you know, yes, they're saying stuff like, well, we're going to write you in, you know, we could talk about that later, but ultimately it was really them saying, we're still here. We're still standing with you. The fight's not over. And, and I, one thing I get more than anything is like, what's next? Like, tell us, tell us how we need to fight now. Right. There's an army of people across California of various age groups from young kids all the way to senior citizens they got inspired by what we were doing, and they understood that it was something bigger than me, bigger than politics, and so they were happy to go out there and advocate because when they went out there and they were holding a Tremino sign, they were wearing a Tremino shirt, it wasn't about a man. It was about an ideology. It was about righteousness, fighting against evil, and we were able to do that, and I think that anytime somebody can identify a righteous cause, especially when they're fighting for uh, selflessly in it because we've talked and you know uh, I didn't have to run and in fact I could have just moved to Florida I had a, a really interesting eye-opening experience when uh, after the recall I sat down and I had lunch with uh, John Cox and we were out there so after the recall and I'm getting ready for running in the primary and I start kind of assembling the network again, right? So I'm reaching out to different candidates and that are no longer going to run, reach out to Elder, reach out to Cox, reach out to everybody, right? Kevin, all of them. So I have lunch and we'll get back to that too and the importance of, of proactive versus, you know, mm -hmm. passive, okay? So remind me on that one. So I'm sitting there with John Cox and we're in Rancho Santa Fe and we're at a country club. It's where he lives. So I went down there to visit him beautiful place. And he's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, why'd you do this? Like, mm -hmm. you, why'd you do it? And in, in, in not so many words, he basically tells me, look, I'm wealthy enough that I can put a hedge of protection around myself. None of these things really affect me. It's like fly private, the whole mask thing, the whatever. It's like, when you when you're successful enough these things don't really matter so the only reason why you fight is because you believe in something right and i and i i looked at that and and i thought to myself i'm like he, he he's so right you know it's like you know people people like us we can put a hedge of protection around us like when i saw all this stuff happening around my family my initial instinct was put a hedge of protection get out just leave, leave the danger. Right. And what I realized is that that was, that was a cowardly. And ultimately we had too many roots in California. We had to stay, but 
Um, people need to understand that we were fighting for something that was way bigger than us, something that had absolutely, you know, my kids were already grown. My daughter wasn't in public school anymore. She was being homeschooled. And so we were advocating for families. We were advocating for those that could not advocate for themselves. We were fighting for people that couldn't fight for themselves. And I think that when you can find a noble cause like that, I think people see the selflessness in it and say, you know, if he's willing to risk, then I'm willing to stand with him in battle. And that's what we saw. And I think that's why we had more volunteers than any campaign, bigger movement up and down the state, and why people are still today ready to go back into whatever we do next. And we can talk about that too. Yeah. Um, excuse me. Uh, when, we, when we go into the campaigning, you definitely had a lot of support. And I think that one of the things that people, uh, you know, I talk to people all over the state. And one of the things that they told me is like outside of SoCal, people don't really know who Tremino is. And in going north after the primaries, I kind of noticed that it was kind of like Dolly country, which was, you know, Senator Brian Dolly. He's a farmer. He's been farming. He's come from a farming family, uh, family for over 100 years or close to 100 years. And uh, he won out there, not just, you know, as a senator, but also as an assemblyman. Uh, but even before that, he was able to kind of beat these big names. I think when, when I interviewed him here, he talked about the first time he ever went into a race. He actually beat a very big name Republican with a lot of money. And I think he was like a retired baseball player, if I'm not mistaken. So he had name recognition. But you and I both agree it's not always about social media and mm -hmm. name, name recognition. So he had a lot of support. And I feel that in maybe in some ways, not, not you know, not entirely, the support was kind of shifted. So Brian Dolly had NorCal. You had SoCal. And then... But people down here in SoCal would tell me, who is Senator Dolly? Like, no one really knows who he is down down here. But when I would go up north, and I went out north a couple times to help out candidates out there, I noticed that there, everyone knew who Senator Dolly was. Looking back, you know, my question to you is, what would you have done differently to kind of get that NorCal vote that might have given you the edge needed going into the primaries? <clears throat> so, first of all, the majority of the population in California is in Southern California. So you need to get Southern California. You need LA. You need San Diego, Riverside. So we were where we needed to be in the fact that we knew where the, the biggest amount of population was, right? So you have to take, like, and if you, you look back at his campaign, you'll realize if you don't do well in Southern California, you don't win, right? And you definitely need Los Angeles to do that. So we spent, uh, I'd say, the majority of our time in Southern California, but we spent an enormous amount of time in Northern, in, uh, we spent majority of our time in Southern California, but we were up in Northern California a lot. And when we talk about what would I have done differently to gain the edge, let's just like talk about the elephant in the room. The reason why Brian Dolly was on the, was in the general election is because he got the CAGOP endorsement. Had he not gotten that endorsement, um, I have absolutely no doubt that we would have made it through the primary. So let's just back up a little bit and kind of like in retrospect, think about how, how this all plays out, right? So um, the convention happens, right? So going into the convention, like you said, we had established the strongest ground game of any candidate up and down the state, right? Charlie Kirk's example of where he saw our presence was not in Southern California. It was in Northern California. So we had established a significant presence through churches, 
um, and ultimately through uh, our network of volunteers, right? What's up, guys? Anthony Cabasa here. Just want to take a quick pause to first and foremost, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. It really means a lot uh, to us in the production uh, side of things and also myself for all the things that you guys do to continue to support our work. Another great way, if you're looking to be able to expand our platform, to keep the lights on here in the studio, sort of say, uh, you can become a monthly contributor. If you go to informwithanthony.com, there is a tab there on how to become a Patreon subscriber or a YouTube subscriber uh, for less than a gallon of gas. And gallon of gas is uh, rounding up $10. So for less than $10, you can help support my platform. Another way that you can also help is uh, also on our website. Uh, we have some cool little merch there that we have right before the midterms. We got this. I'm actually wearing it right now. Uh, we have a Volta shirt. This means vote. Get out there. Get activated. Make sure you vote this upcoming midterms. Your voice matters. Get activated. Make sure to vote. So, again, those are ways that you can right now for you know, less than a gallon of gas or for the t-shirt, you can go on to the website, www.informwithanthony.com, make that purchase and continue to help us here at the Inform with Anthony studio. So again, thank you so much for your time. See you guys out there. So headed into the COGOP convention, we had, uh, we got this second highest amount of nominations to go in. We go into the COGOP convention and we are, we dominate that place. So we had the most, were you there? I think due to work, I wasn't able to make the convention. I am a state delegate though. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I did cast my vote for, for that. Through proxy or what? Um, you know, I want to say maybe yes. I'm sorry. I, I, I really right. don't remember, but, um, Cause that's, a, that's a whole nother, you know, topic we can get into. The right. Yeah. And no, yeah. And that's good that we and, explain it to people yeah. because people don't know what state delegates are. Yeah. People think that, you know, um, it, it's just one person's call when it comes Not only to that, people think that when you go into the convention and you vote that the uh, outcome is a byproduct of everyone's intentional vote. And that's not true because mm -hmm. someone can carry in three proxies. Right. So basically you're voting on behalf of three other people, which means that you're impacting their vote. They don't necessarily oftentimes even know who you're voting for. So you can come in and carry the weight of four different votes and not necessarily represent the delegate's actual interest, right? Right. Because you were given that you gave up your proxy. Not you in particular, but I'm just saying that's how the process works. <clears throat> Nevertheless, so uh, convention comes. We dominate. We had the biggest presence there. We had the most amount of support volunteers um we had more activity at our booth than any than any candidate running in any office um we had our reception had the most amount of people of of any candidate we just had a dominant we, we our presence was was we we dominated the convention so we felt really good going into sunday which is when they were going to actually vote right for the endorsement so Saturday night, day before, all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And people are freaking out all over the place because there's an accusation being made, right, um, that the Dolly campaign makes a significant contribution to the CEGOP 24 hours before the endorsement. Now, I don't care for what reason it was. Bottom line is, in politics, everything is optics. And they know that. Right. You're talking about you're talking about a political family, a family who have been in politics for 25 years. So optics matter. 
They matter in the real world, but they definitely matter in politics. So all this craziness ensues, so much so that the following morning an email goes out to everybody trying to uh, kind of mitigate the uh, the damage that's that's you know being spoken about with regards to you know theories and and accusations etc. One of the other candidates actually in her speech even called it out and had her mic cut off etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Bottom line is all this stuff happens. We go into the actual vote. So I'm not I'm not accusing the family of anything. I'm just saying there was there was a contribution made the night before the voting process, which just does not look good, period. It was the night before? I've heard it was days, a couple it, of days before, like three days before. No. Um, if in, in a worst-case scenario, it was two days before, but we were at convention. Right. So convention started Friday. We were at convention when it happened, and then it was the following day that an email went out trying to explain it, right? But we were at convention, so it couldn't have been before Friday. So nevertheless... This gets made, there's, there's all kinds of accusations flying. Obviously, my camp and I, we just stay out of it. We're there to do one thing. We're there to show up, show face, uh, represent our supporters, and vie for the endorsement. So we go into voting, and they basically do this by rounds, right? So up until, so they go down ballot all the way up to governor. So as, as they go um, race after race after race, they basically put the candidates up, people in the room vote, and ultimately, if you get 61% or more, you get the endorsement. If not, they consider it a no vote. So that happens, and pretty much uh, every single race up until the governor's race was decided, was pretty much one vote. One vote, they either got it or they didn't, and they handed out their endorsements. We get to the governor's race, and the first round goes, and Dolly and I basically split, and... It, they knock off uh, Jenny LaRue. Go through a second round because you, you got to get it down to two, right? So you go through a second round. Dolly and I basically split. Sean Collins uh, gets taken off the list. They go through the third round of voting, and it's a 50-something to 40-something split. Nobody has enough to, uh, to win the endorsement. The chairwoman calls a non-endorsement. So immediately the room goes off and you have you have two people standing up. One person stands up and says, uh, we need to not endorse. We need to just leave it as is, keep it as a non-endorsement, let them battle it out in their campaigns. Somebody else gets up and this is somebody who's been in politics for years. Um, somebody else gets up and tries to make the case that they should go through another round of voting because we definitely need to endorse. So in the process of making the case that we should actually vote again, the individual's case, the strength of the argument is um, we, have to, we, we have to go through another round of voting. We owe it to Brian Dolly. He's a sitting senator. Heck, he even knows where the bathrooms are in Sacramento. So it was on the, on the strength of the fact that he knew where the, this is, you can't make this up. This is like reality TV stuff, right? Because I look at my wife, I'm saying, did he just say that the reason why they need to endorse someone is because Brian, on the, 
it's on the strength of the fact that Brian Dolly knows where the restrooms are in Sacramento. I looked at her and I said, I've been to Sacramento. I know where the restrooms are. If not, I'll follow the signs. So they go through the, they go through a round of voting to determine whether or not they're going to vote again. The room uh, decides, let's go through one more round of voting. They go through one more round of voting and the outcome of that shows that I won. So the numbers go up. It shows that I have like 60 some percent. Dolly is sitting somewhere low, whatever. And the whole room erupts. He freaks out. Everyone freaks out because Sean Collins's name is back on there. So they call, they, they basically call it a, 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 a non-vote. They say that there was a technical error. There was a glitch. We can't look at that. We got to do it again. So whatever. Um, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, so I'll leave it at that. Bottom line is it's just, it's chaos. So then they, they vote one more time in the room, final fifth vote, and it ends up 61% to the, you know, 40, uh, 39%. And he gets the endorsement. Okay. That, uh, that right there, the very following day or within the next couple days is when Newsom actually spent about $7 million placing ads, actually naming Dolly in the ad, um, which catapulted his visibility. So the endorsement that day, which is extremely questionable with regards to how we even got there. By the way, if you think about it, I was in a room with, with the establishment. I'm an outsider. We shouldn't have even split the votes. First time, second time, third time. So what that shows you is even within the party, there's dissension. Even within the party, they want change. Even within the party, uh, a, a sitting senator, someone who's been in politics for 25 years, still had to go five rounds the most of any office that day um, to get the endorsement. And the significance of that, because it goes back to your question, like what could you have done differently to have, have uh, had a better outcome? Well, that day changed everything because on that day when he gets the endorsement, the Newsom camp now has identified the target and now elevates the target, starts placing ads out, getting his name out. And now part of the endorsement is that you get to be put on the uh, voter guides. Right. The voter guides are utilized by older voters, right? These are, these are voters who may not be on social media, may not be at events, may not be, you know, uh, where we saw the movement happening. These are individuals who wait for the CAGOP to say, what do you want me to do? I'm a soldier. Tell me. Right. And we fall in line. So the minute he gets the endorsement, he gets visibility through Newsom. And then the CAGOP starts to produce the voter guides. You're not going to convince me that 1.5 million people knew who Brian Dolly was before the voter guides and before Newsom started to place his ads. There's no way you're going to convince me of that. If we, I, again, my team runs analytics constantly. We were up and down the state. There was not enough name ID to generate 1.5 million votes. Where did they come from? They came from the visibility of Newsom's ads and they came from the voter guides. So what does that all mean? It all means that you can trace it back to the COGOP, the CAGOP endorsement. And so if you ask me what would I have done differently, 
I mean, the only thing I could have done differently is played the political game differently, but I wouldn't have, and I didn't. And so we were unwilling to sit down with the GOP, and I'm going to tell you a story here, too. I was actually going to ask you that. Before you left convention, did you get to talk to some of the leadership and be like, hey, what, what just happened? Did, was there, like, any answers to that? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Prior to because even I got phone calls from like other delegates and people that were at convention and they called me and they told me what happened. They're like, dude, this is ridiculous. You know, and, Every, and, and, everybody was upset. You got to understand, like this whole experience for me has been surreal in that I'm not a politician. So I've, I've been this dad, this father, this business owner in 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 the, the clothing and garments of a politician trying to do this thing. So I'm always looking at it from an outside perspective and. As I see all of this happening, yeah, I mean, people were devastated. People were upset. People were frustrated, angry. They, 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 were, they were unhappy, way more unhappy than we were. For us, because going into it, I was like, we don't need it. Like, it'd be a nice to have, but it's not a necessary. If we can pick this up, great. If we don't, we're still, we still got a mission, right? I was going to follow up with that. There was a lot of people from your campaign that kind of said, well, Trevino went into the basically telling all his audience that he doesn't really care for the establishment you know, endorsement. Looking back, do you feel like that was maybe a mistake? Or? No, not at all. Uh, I don't care for the party. I, I don't care for the party. I don't care for their endorsement. But, but if, if you're thinking about adding another arrow to your quiver, it's like, do you go into battle with that or without it? If you can go in with it, great. Okay, so it just adds a little bit more value. But can you win without it? Uh, Larry Elder didn't have the CAGOP endorsement when in the uh, recall. Right. Four and a half million votes or whatever whatever vote count he had. He didn't need it. So there's proof of concept there. We knew that. Again, we're looking at data. We looked at that and said, we don't need the endorsement. Like there's proof of concept there that you can get that many votes without the endorsement. Now, when they offered it, when they when they put it on the table and said, uh, but you can have it because we're we're nominating you to go and vie for it. Why? Why would I to all the supporters that we have in California? Why would I not do that? I owe it to them to do every single thing possible to win everything right within my own moral value and compass, right? So if the COGP wants to invite me there and say, hey, we've nominated you and we're willing to consider you for endorsement, I look at all the moms and I look at all the kids and I look at all the business owners that I made promises to and I say, hey, I promised you I would do everything. So I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm going to go after this because if it could help our cause, I'm going to do it. And that's why I did it. But I'm going to tell you, going, going into the convention, I had to sit down with the chair. She came to my office, right? There was a meeting at my office. She came to my office. And we sat down. And uh, I wanted to give her an opportunity to look at our campaign as a way to rebrand and reface the CAGOP. I sat down and I told her in a room full of eight people, I said, look, you have an opportunity here. You have an outsider, Hispanic, immigrant, Father, you know, you name it. Like, look at this story. It's here. If you guys can get behind this, like, we can change things. Like, this could be the beginning of something new. We could be relevant again. I laid it all out for her. She thought it was fascinating. But I could tell that, you know, she. I'm still an outsider, even in her world, right? So I said, 
there was some resistance there. And I said, okay, let, let me just ask it another way. Who do you think can beat me? And by the way, we had talked about Brian. We talked about Jenny. We talked about Sean. We talked about everybody. I said, I'm going to ask you a question. Who do you think can beat me? You've heard my story. You, you've heard my heart. You know why I'm in it. Who can beat me? And she paused for a minute in a room full of eight people. And she said, nobody. Mm. So that moment, I thought I had made... This was Jessica Patterson? Yes, 100%. In my office a couple weeks before, a few weeks before the convention. Um, And so I said to myself, okay, I think we made some progress here. I think the establishment understands they're dead. Because I told her, you're dead. And I think that I might have convinced her that this is the future. Our movement is the future. I think she's going to, I think she'll come along. Well, a few weeks later, I get, I get a visit from somebody. Basically on, well, two things happen. Number one, I get a random call from somebody saying they're representing the party. If I'm willing to run for secretary of state, I'll get the party's full endorsement. And because uh, that's that's where they would want someone like me. I said, that's great, but I'm not running for secretary of state. I said, do you think I'm leaving my work, my life, my everything I built? I said, no. I said, I'm here to cut the head off the snake. And that's that's at the top. I said, I only want one position. That's governor, period, end of story. So that was a failed attempt. But I started to see things working behind the scenes, right? So then... I get a visit from somebody, and basically the conversation is like this. So um, you have a lot of movement behind you. You have a lot of support behind you. We're going into convention. Um, there are some things that the, the, the chair wants to get passed, and we need your supporters to fall in line. I said, really, like what? We want to eliminate term limits. We want to have term limits gone. I said, why in the world would we eliminate term limits? I said, in fact, that's what the the party should be. That's what we've been fighting for for years, term limits. Nancy Pelosi, all these people that we want out of office, they're in office because of term because there are no term limits. Why in the world would we would I want to eliminate term limits? I believe that 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 the people that run for office should be outside of politics, they should come, serve, and then go back. And, and we should have term limits on all politicians. I said, well, we really want those term limits to be removed because uh, COVID happened. There's been two years. The party hasn't been able to do much. I want to give her an opportunity to do more. And this would be her last year. So we want to lift term limits. I so said, you're, you're talking about term limits for the chairwoman so yeah. she can run again. Yes. I'm, I'm here understanding that you mean term limits for congressmen. No, she's talking about term limits for herself so she can continue to run. Mm. And I said, uh, no. I said, absolutely not. I said, what are you talking about? Term limits are there for a reason. I agree with term limits. And I'm not going to get my supporters to, to back that. Okay, I'm hearing this. Okay. <laughs> and I just, I have to ask. I'm, I'm sure, I, I know what you're going to say, but... I've been told by, you know, I've been doing politics since 2018, talked to a lot of candidates. I've talked to a lot of people. And and the number one theme that I kind of see across the board is they always tell me, Anthony, 
you know, if you're going to run, I have one piece of advice. Play the game until you're in, and then that's when you wreak havoc. It kind of sounds like maybe going to convention, correct me if I'm wrong, you were not willing to play ball. 100%. Right. 100%. In, so retrospe- look, in retrospect, <clears throat> no, you can you look, no, that? no, no, no. Because you can look at it two ways. At the end of the day, I'm not trying to be a lifelong politician. I'm trying to do bigger things than that. Build legacy for my family. I'm going to be accountable to God one day. Could be today. It could be five years from now. It could be 100 years from now. I don't know. But one day I'm going to stand before my maker. And I need to be able to justify everything that he gave me, everything he did. You know, all, where did I put my time, my money, my resources, my focus? Where did I put my attention? Did I compromise? Did I compromise to get ahead? Did I try to eliminate faith by manipulating things on my own because I didn't trust you? Like, that's not how I'm built. I was going into this to serve. I always, I, I've said this a thousand times. I wasn't going into this to win. I was going into this to serve, right? Like, there was nothing in this for me zero and we'll talk about the cost of of this in a second but ultimately no you could say hey all you had to do was was play the game make these subtle compromises here and there how do i do that and then turn around right and i've i've been to events you know where i pull up in the parking lot this is true i can't even count how many times this happened pull up in the parking lot and you would have families come and the mothers would literally break down and just in tears, hyperventilating, absolutely distraught. If you don't win, my husband's getting fired. If you don't win, we have to move to Arizona. If you don't win, I'm going to get fired. If you don't win this, that, the other thing, like every, there was so much weight on me during this process, carrying the burdens of others. How do I look at them and say, I stand for righteousness. I stand against the evil. It's good versus evil, light versus darkness. How do I do all that? And at the same time, turn around and do these backdoor deals, manipulate the process, get myself in through compromise. And, and then like, where's my integrity? Where's my character? How, how do I, I can't justify that. So for me, it was always, if I'm gonna win, it's going to be through him. It's not going to be on my own accord. If I win, it's going to be because he opens doors no one can close, right? And so I was like, I need to be steadfast and firm in staying true to this. And if I'm, if I can honor God through the process, if I can stand on my moral ground, if I can just be consistent, he'll find a way. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, then they've taken from me nothing, right? Nothing. So I said no. And didn't hear from them again until obviously we go to convention, and uh, well, I, they they lift term limits, right? So, but here's my question: so it, it, politics is very tricky, you know. Even as Christians, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say necessarily we are called to compromise. I, as long as you never lose the faith or your morals or your values, I think you know the word I like to use is steering in the right direction. And what I mean by that is, you know, the GOP establishment or just the establishment in general. Like, I see no different Mitch McConnell than I do Nancy Pelosi. Like, there's no difference in me. Sure, they're in a different political party, but they are establishing people. Some of the candidates that I talked to, they basically said, you know, um, for example, when they were going to vote for Kevin McCarthy as a speaker for this new post midterms. 
I, I reached out to a few people, out, even outside of California, and I said, you know, or would you vote for this person uh, for Speaker of the House? I've, he I've heard that they're kind of trying to get rid of them or they're trying to run someone against them. And they basically told me, like, look, at the end of the day, Kevin McCarthy has political power and he has uh, lobbying money that he can get fresh candidates to come in and win. He, he backs people, right? Uh, maybe there are not compromises, but maybe like, hey, are you are we are you going to be ha someone that we have to worry about? Or are you going to be someone, you know, that, hey, you're going to come in here, you're going to work with us. If we can meet some ground and, and pass some legislation that we agree on, great. And if not, then okay. You, you're, you know, but that's the establishment, though. I mean, even Donald Trump has endorsed Kevin McCarthy this time around. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I hear about, you know, Donald Trump losing 2020 is like, oh, he underestimated the establishment. So what did he do? He went back out there and he endorsed the establishment. He's like, vote for all these people who I've told you through the years are maybe not the most America first people. I don't necessarily agree with them. But but in endorsing these people, for example, in, in Texas, Abbott, right? A lot of people say I've, I've had a lot of people call me from from Texas, tell me we don't like Abbott. He's not doing enough for border security. He's scared. He's turning Texas purple. Uh, you know, he's not very decisive person. He, he doesn't take the, the wield of power maybe as someone as Ron DeSantis does. Getting it done, getting election reform so that we can have, you know, safe elections, etc. But Donald Trump endorsed them. And, and, and the way it's explained to me is like sometimes you have to work with the people to steer it in the right direction and make sure we don't go backward. Because the alternative is the other guy. And sometimes the other guy are people like Gavin Newsom, right? So you're telling me about how these these families came to you and said like if, if you don't win like that's it for us mm -hmm. so if you're willing to do everything for them then why not post primaries and this is you know it, it was an argument not necessarily against you it was never ever against you know personal i i'm not one of those people that personally go after people like that but what i did see in florida and this is something that i made a point for california in florida when charlie chris won after the primaries and he was a nominee the other two top Democrats came out and endorsed them and said, we're going to be using all our resources, all our volunteers to help Charlie Chris win because mm -hmm. we need to get DeSantis out. Why can't the Republicans be like that here in California? Why after the primaries? Because the Republicans have values. Mm -hmm. Values change things. And so it's very difficult for someone with values to justify compromise, especially when compromise goes against your moral compass. Right. So you stated in, you know, after I posted my video about Dolly, basically saying, you know, where are you? Um, you know, you you posted something to the effect of why can't Republicans get behind each other? Why don't they? Right. Why do they do this? Because Republicans have values. We're the party of life. Right. We're the party of biblical values. We're the party that that, you know, um, when so if you have a bunch of people in a party that that basically stand on moral ground, like they're rooted in, in, in strong moral values, then it's, it's, a, it's a contradiction then. Some people are able to make it, some pick and choose, some don't make them at all. So that's why, that's why it's not easy for our party to just say, okay, we're gonna compromise our values, our beliefs, our views for this small win, even for a big win. Because we're playing higher stakes, but the alternative is Newsom, though. So let's let's talk about let's talk about compromise. Let's talk about specifically, you know, um, 
my issue with voting for Dolly, you know, in the general, right? Okay. Because ultimately, I can disagree with any politician on politics and policy all day long, right? I don't care if we disagree on nuclear energy, on crime, on healthcare, schools, whatever. But when we, when we disagree on biblical moral values, then it's, it's a whole nother level of, of thought process, a whole nother level of compromise in my mind, right? You're talking about... So you know, we, we've, ha- yeah, we've had this conversation, right? So I was going to vote for Dolly the moment he became the, the nominee on the general because it was my duty. He became the only other option, right? So we can disagree on a thousand different things. And I think he was soft on a lot of things, strong on a lot. And by the way, I'm going to say that I said this in my video. I'm going to say it again here. I actually like Brian Dolly. He's a really nice guy. I met his kids. His kids are incredible young men. I met them, had conversations with them. uh, And I told you, you know them by their fruit. So the fact that he has such amazing kids tells me he must be an amazing father. So I have no ill will toward him, the man. But the minute that he made it past the primary and I was no longer a candidate, then I became a father, a husband, a business owner, and a voter. And he became a candidate, the only candidate. So I was only holding him to the same standard I would hold anybody to running on behalf of my daughter running on behalf of my business. I built this thing. I built my business. I'm building a legacy. I have nephews and nieces in public school. He became the only thing standing in the way. So of course I'm going to hold him to a high standard. And that's what my video was. My video was coming out saying, where, and by the way, when I posted my video, it was, it was months after the actual, the primary. It was months after. And the reason I posted that video is because it for months, I hadn't seen Brian out there campaigning the way I knew you had to campaign in order to beat Newsom. Isn't it fair to say, though, that he, you know, he is a sitting senator. He, he, he's working, right? Legislation is in. So glad you brought that up. You kind of walked yourself into a little trap there. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain that. No, but I mean, I think it's I'm, a fair assessment. Oh, it's not even a fair assessment. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow that up right now, okay? Uh, so say this with me, 125 in 30, 125 and 30 in 30, 125 in 30, 125 and 30. Okay. That's the amount of events that I did in a 30 day period. It was February or March with 125 calendar events in 30 days. That means 125 times in 30 days, I was somewhere talking to somebody about this campaign. Whether that was radio, TV, at a church, at an event, at a festival, at a function, 125 times in 30 days. But as a private citizen. Hold on, hold on. So during that time, uh, was I jobless? Was I divorced? Did I have no kids? and no other responsibilities during that time that afforded me the opportunity to go out there 125 times in 30 days? No. I was a father, present father. 
I was a present husband, and I was a CEO of a multi-million dollar global ad agency and had 50 direct reports. You're not going to tell me for a second that he had a bigger workload than I did, that he had more responsibility than I did. The, the demand on my time during that particular month far exceeded, far exceeded, because I had to be present for work. I was making decisions for, for uh, my company. I had fit over 50 direct reports, a wife, children, the campaign. I did it all. I literally, and, and people know this, I was doing 20 hours a day, seven days a week. Like, I lost an incredible amount of weight. I lost a lot of sleep, whatever. But I did it because I had made the promise that I was going to do anything and everything to win. Three months had gone by after the primary, and I didn't see that level of intensity. I have every right as a citizen, right, as a private citizen, to challenge the politician that's running against Newsom. I had every right to. So all the people that criticize me for, why are you trying to tear him down? Shut up. Well, this is literally my life. Right. This is my business, my taxes, my hard-earned money, my children, my body. Like You go through all the things that, that we were facing, and it's like, I can, yeah, I can ask the question, where are you? I haven't seen you. Where are you? What are you doing? Why aren't you working at that pace? Bottom line is, I know it can be done because I did it. And my expectation was that whoever was running, if they were gonna, if the CAGOP and and Brian were gonna say, "Hey, Anthony, we've got it. Sit back down. We're good. We've got this fight. This is, we're gonna we're gonna go." Then freaking train like it. Then swing like it. The reason I posted the video is because after three months, you're talking about a guy who's been in politics for 25 years, but in the lightweight division, he was about to go up against like arguably pound for pound, you know, biggest champion in the country right now. I mean, I, I agree with your, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. If, if you're going to be running against someone like Gavin Newsom, who, look, you can think whatever you want of the guy, but you know, I'm pretty sure this guy's going to be a 2024 front runner for the Democratic Party. Sure. He has a lot of support in the state. A lot of people need to understand whether you like him or not. He has a lot of union support. The teachers love him, the health care. I mean, this guy got caught in his own restaurant, Massless, right? Or at the, not the, his own restaurant, the French Laundry out there. At, is that his restaurant? I'm not no, sure. It's not. So he was at kind of a restaurant with the health directors of the state, and they're all maskless, yeah. right? So he's got them in the back pocket. He's a very, very powerful political figure. I completely agree. If you're going to run someone against them, you need to make sure that they have the time to do it. And I think that that Senator Dolly was very restricted with his time because, especially toward the end of legislation, gonna, you can't. You no, can't, I, I you understand. Can't, you can't. No, you can't. But also, so, but so, he's also so business so, no, so, and he's also but, a family man. He but, never dropped doing yeah, any of those things. But nor did I, and I was at a 20, 125 events in thirty days. Uh, he he didn't do one hundred twenty five events in those three months. That's why I posted the video. You can't tell me that no, he and did. I, and he I wasn't, definitely don't think it was. And he definitely wasn't in Southern California where he needed the most amount of visibility coming off that, right? That was a win. So technically, the day after the primary, he should have been in San Diego. Again, I like Brian Dolly. This is not, a, this is not an attack on Brian Dolly. This is an attack on Brian, the candidate that was running on my behalf and my family's behalf, right? So we're just talking about, it's kind of like you and I, uh, we're at, we're at a Laker game and, and we're talking about our team, right? So it's like, 
this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that the voters were owed more than that effort. So if you bought a ticket, this is the guy that we're going to put in the ring with the heavyweight champion of the world. You expect a fight. You expect a fight, right? Right. You watch UFC? I don't, actually. <clears throat> so there's a, there's a Cuban fighter. His last name is Masvidal. And he basically has, like, one of the fastest uh, UFC wins in history. Basically, bell rings, he runs up, flying knee kick, boom, knocks the guy out, it's over. That's how fast this election went. On election night, I was watching the Masvidal fight all over again. And I'm thinking to myself, this was supposed to be... This was supposed to be five rounds. And UFC is five rounds versus 12 rounds, just so you, in case you don't know. But this was supposed to be a championship fight. It was supposed to go five rounds. But you weren't training like you were fighting the champion. You didn't put in the effort like you were fighting the champion. So am I, am I wrong because I said you weren't in the gym? Am I wrong? No, it, I'm not wrong for that. And at the end of the day, he owed the voters more. All of the people, when he, when he told everybody coming off that win, and by the way, when you think about it, he had his concession speech written on the day of election, and he put it out the following day, which means if, if, if he works at that speed following the primary, he should have known that night, okay, I'm, I got it. I'm the front runner. He was that far ahead that night and the next day in the primary that at that point, he knows it's me. I'm going in. I've been called. So my critique of him was just, you were, you're not putting in effort. So when people like you come out and say, cut the guy a break. Come no, on, go not, easy on, come just, on, he had a, he had a, because you're not the only one. There are a couple of social trolls that say the same thing. No, but and I, they, I just and they say, make it But, clear, but here's, here's the narrative, right? Cut the guy a break. Come on. He had a job. Like, he had a job. Cut him some slack. No, so did I. So what? Mm -hmm. I had a job. I have more kids than him. I have more debt than him. I have, like, I, more, 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 more. And I still had to do it. I still woke up and I still did it, right? And so it's like, no, it's not okay that we, that we make these excuses for people that fall short of our expectation. That is settling into medi mediocrity. No. Bottom line is the moment they said, sit down, Jenny, sit down, Anthony, sit down, Sean, everybody, everybody, two dozen, sit down. This is our guy. He now carried the burden of an entire state on his shoulders, and he should have acted like it. And in my opinion, he didn't. And the idea that we would justify, well, he had a job, well, he, he, was, he was pressed for time, not an excuse. This, no, I'm not saying anything. Would you agree with me on this? What was at stake, right? And so many people have said this. Fight like your life depends on it because it does. Do you agree that what we were dealing with here in California in this election whether it's, you know, pandemic-related, tax-related, crime-related, whatever. What we were facing here and what we're still facing here in California is life or death. It really is. Yeah, I mean, I, look, so, I, I so agree. I'll, so I end with this. To... So, so if it's life or death, mm -hmm. if it's life or death, if we agree that the fight here in California is life or death, do you believe that he fought like it was life or death? I mean, look, look, I, I just want to make it clear. I, even with your live, I didn't personally take it. People were sending it to me and said, hey, this guy's personally attacking him. Even I said, I'm like, I don't think he's attacking him. I think he's just asking an honest question, right? Like, hey, like what, what's going on? We're months away. Yeah. What is going on? Right. 
And, and so when I rebuttaled with my live stream, my live stream was not necessarily only about like, hey, the Tremino live stream. It was about just in general, like, hey, what are you, the voter, also? Oh, it was to about do? me and about selling shirts. <laughs> I, I like that that yeah. little pitch at the end. I love. I was like, and by you, the way, I have these shirts. We have these shirts. That's so that we can sit right there. There we go. See, yes. I watched it. I liked it. I, I liked know. It. All right. But well, but but here's the thing: is I I didn't think it was a personal attack. I I, sp- I spoke with Brian Daly after the fact. He didn't necessarily feel like it was a personal attack. It sparked conversation, which is what you need. It sparked conversation. Well, I'm not faulting you for any of that. I'm right. Uh, you know, uh, a couple things. I I think. But you just said something inter- interesting, though, and, and and you know, you kind of when when I said, "What about after a primary?" Like, well, I became a regular citizen again. But you did make a promise to the people that trusted you. You mm-hmm. you made a or that continue to trust you, that have hope in you, mm-hmm. and that said, "Where do we go from now?" Don't you agree that maybe you could have shifted the conversation? Like, okay, we oh, know, we know what's a, absolutely not. So we I'm a, know so what's we know what's wrong. We know that this guy needs help. This is what I am willing to offer to get this guy to the finish line. So I'm, I'm Why not brought do that? that? I'm glad you brought that up too. So, immediately following the recall, which I was in, he wasn't in, right? Immediately following the recall, I was the only one, 46 candidates that remained in the race. What did we do right after the recall? We reached out, we, I, my team, reached out to every single candidate to say, hey, we're still in this. There's still work to be done. Join us. Let's get involved. The reason I sat with Cox when I started this is because I reached out to Cox and I said, hey, we need to sit. I need to tell you my story. I'm the best chance we've got story-wise. Like we have something. If we can all band together and get behind this, this is the story that California needs. Let me tell it to you. Sat down with Cox. I sat down with Kylie. I sat down with uh, we we reached out to everybody. You know why? Because that's a winner's mentality. Because that's what winners do. Right. That's what entrepreneurs do. That's what pioneers do. That's who I am. It's in me. It's in my DNA. This whole idea that you guys sit there and say, "Hey, after the after the you know after the primary, why didn't you reach out to Brian?" All of my resources, all of my energy, my time, anything was on the table and available to him. But he never called to pick it up. Whose fault is that? That's my fault. He's running for governor. He's running. He's running, right? It's his job. It's his duty. He's been called. He's been put in. He said, Anthony, sit down. I've got this. CAGOP said, Anthony, sit down. We've got this. Okay, no problem. You know what I have in my arsenal. You know that we run the biggest you know, grassroots campaign in the entire state. You know that. Anthony Cavasa knows that. Charlie Kirk was talking about it. Who doesn't know this? You know I got the churches. You know we've made inroads with the Hispanic community. You know, where I'm still waiting for the call. I'm still waiting for the call. He so you're saying if you would have called... A hundred percent, I'm saying without a shadow of a doubt. If he would have picked up the phone and he would have called and said, hey, I need your help. So why not make a message like Jenny LaRue, for example? Because I'm not Jenny LaRue and she's not me. That's why. And but I'm you, thankful you were for just that. talking about how you were called to serve, though. So, okay. So, so why not just so put then out a statement next, like, hey, no, if you want to call it's me, simple. Call so me. If, if you say you're called to serve, then ask me the next question. Well, how are you serving now? And I'll mm-hmm. tell you. And I'll tell you what I'm doing. I, I did more 
as a private citizen and as a person running, then all of them together, whether it was through We Are Still Heroes and the work we did there, whether it was through Philanth like we were always outworking everybody. So like the idea that it's my job, all of a sudden like the primary's over, look at the results, okay, Brian's going forward. Now let me reach out to Brian is completely absurd. It's absurd. That is a very passive approach for him to take. He should have been proactive like I did. Do you know that even uh, even during the voting process at the CAGOP convention, as we knew people were going to get knocked off, we went up to Jenny, we went up to Sean, and we're like, hey, whatever happens here, let's get together. Like, we need to fight against the establishment. We reached out in that room. I sent people to go talk to Sean. I sent people to go talk to Jenny. Like, that, because... If, if I want to win, if I genuinely want to win, right, I'm not going to wait for you. I'm not going to wait for you to call me. I'm going to do anything and everything in my power to win. And I'm going to be proactive about doing it. So I'm going to pick up the phone call. So if I'm him, primary ends, I'm on the phone with Mike Schellenberger. I'm on the phone with Jenny. I'm on the phone with Anthony. I'm on the phone with Sean. I'm on the phone with top 10. And I'm like, Hey, it happened, right? It happened. I know you guys probably not crazy about the outcome, but we can agree on one thing. California's on fire. Right. What can we do together? Can we sit down? Can we grab coffee? What can we do? That was his responsibility, his job to do. And he had me up until he debated Newsom. And when he debated Newsom, he lost me. So before we go into that, and I, I definitely want to touch on that because that's going to lead up to the mm -hmm. abortion issue and then the whole like compromising values yeah. and stuff, right? Uh, but one of the things that um, you just mentioned was, um, you know, going into it. Do you think that, do you think it's kind of like a shame that it seems like the democratic standard after they step down is to always support the, the, the whoever the person was? Like I... I even going back to like the 2020 election, Elizabeth Warren, I mean, the Democrats had like 20 plus candidates, right? But it seemed like every single time they were knocked out, the very first thing they did was, hey, here's my public statement supporting whoever the person's going to be. And it just seems so foreign with Republicans, not singling anyone out, but even Larry Elder. Not necessarily. But, in but, but, in, wait, in wait, presidential wait. elections, they do that a lot. But okay, right. But even in, in, for a governor, right? Larry Elder, the moment he stepped down, which he conceded a lot faster, by the way. He conceded like an hour after you know, Larry the, didn't the election. Larry didn't want to win. Like newsflash, hold on, like highlight this. Larry didn't want to win. Larry didn't want to be governor. He conceded an hour later. The, yeah, the well, hadn't those even... people, to ask me when I conceded. I, I, I Ask I me when I conceded in, in the recall. But do you think that that's something that needs to be fixed? No, I think we need more people like me that are not willing to concede, that don't have a plan B, that are willing to go all in and not have any 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 other option but to win. But you don't you see it as that. a problem not to support the guy that's it? So again, like I said, so he would have had my support. He would have. If he would have picked up the phone. I, I have a global ad agency. He knew that. I shared the stage with him many, many times. We do messaging. We, we get paid a lot of money by Fortune 500 companies who come and say, we don't know who we are. Help us talk about who we are. Help us with branding, messaging. Help us connect with our audiences, right? This is what I do. He knows that. If I'm him, I'm the first call he makes. I'm the first call. Maybe Michael too, but I'm the first call because Michael's a bridge into kind of independence, right? And even the Democrats. So uh, I call Michael and I call Anthony and I say, hey guys, like 
we still got to take down the giant, right? Anthony, you got resources. I know, like, what, what, what do we need to do in order to work together? I'm telling you, he would have had my support, but he never called. And again, all of those people that are like, well, you should have. No, that's not how the world works. Do you know why they call the one, the one percenters the one percenters? Because they do things that the 99% don't want to do, don't know how to do, don't have the courage to do. There are The one percenters exist because there are 99% of the population that don't want to do what they have to do, what they need to do to get ahead, right? It, it's like that, that, that mediocrity, that, that mentality, that, that mindset, it's so foreign to me. If I want to win, I'm going to do everything I can to win. And so at the end of it, he should have picked up the phone. He should have called me. I would have been willing. It wasn't about pride. It wasn't, my pride wasn't hurt. My pride wasn't hurt. I had my family, I had my business. Like I could still get up and leave and go to Florida and live my best life. So I wasn't worried. It wasn't like I lost anything, right? If anything, I felt like a burden had been lifted. But um, it wasn't about pride. It wasn't about like, I'm not going to help him. It was about when he's ready, I'll answer the phone. And he knew even through you guys how to get a hold of me. Not once did he call. Not once did he ask. So I figured he doesn't need my help. So the debate. So that happened. And then you said you were willing to vote for him up until the point of the debate. Yeah, I wasn't going to go out and promote him. I wasn't going to go out and and, because he didn't ask for it. He didn't ask me to help him. So I wasn't going to go and help him. But I knew like privately I was going to go and I was going to vote for him. Because up until that point, I had no reason not to. He was on the ballot. We may have different views on policy. But I heard he was a man of faith, loved God. And I was like, okay, I can align with that. Sure. Then the debate happens, right? And he gets asked a very specific question. You and others have said, ah, they caught you off guard. They, they were interrupting you. They kind of came at you. Excuses, excuses, excuses. He's a politician fighting against Newsom. If you got to defend him, he has no business sitting next to Newsom on stage, right? So, oh, you got sidetracked. They, they, got, they, you know, they confused you. And, and, and they ask him a question, very simple question. But if you replay it, they ask it multiple times. And the guy continues to clarify it, trying to catch him, continues to clarify it. To the point he makes it as simple in our industry, we call it Dr. Seussing it, making it so the five-year-old can understand it, right? So and for he, the audience. And he said it super simple. I just wanted so for the audience for clarifying, I tuned into that one. And and the question, if I'm not mistaken, is would you sign a bill that had money attached for abortion if that's what it meant to take to, to pass that <clears throat> legislation? It, yeah. And it, is, it was even more simple than that. Less words. It was, it, would you, would you, uh, would you approve, would you sign a budget or approve a budget that had funding in it for abortion? That, that was, it finally got down to that simple of a sentence. Mm-hmm. Would you sign a budget or approve a budget that had funding for abortion in it? And he said, if it, if that's what it took yes, to pass the he budget. Said, so he says, yes, if that's what it takes to get the budget approved, right? <clears throat> Let's put that in the context, right? What could the budget be for? Roads, infrastructure, energy, whatever. You lay it all out. Budget gets put in front of him. And what he's saying in that comment, right, is, okay, 
if I got to get this energy bill approved, if I got to get this um, safety bill, if I got to get this healthcare bill, if I got to, if I got to get this budget approved, but it's going to cost a few thousand babies. Okay. Okay. If that's what it takes. Okay. That's what he said to millions of people in California who have stood shoulder to shoulder with me and on their own fighting for life up and down the state. He said, yes, whatever is on this budget, whatever it is I need to do, if it, if it costs a couple hundred lives, a couple thousand babies, okay. I'm willing to approve a budget that funds the death of thousands of babies if it means I get this package approved. How in the world could we be okay with that? I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. So then <clears throat> I sat with that for a while and it bothered me. And so then I posted something about it and I didn't mischaracterize him at all. I was just posting my frustration about it. And then I know that you're going to interview him. So I tell you, hey, like, you need, like, this is not okay. If you're going to sit in front of him, you're a journalist, you need to challenge him. You need to challenge him. Because you're also a believer. And you need to challenge him. And you did. did. And I was proud of you (laughs) because it was like first or second question out the gate. I was like, yeah, there you go. It was a a number one concern for a lot of people. Yeah. So I I respected you a lot for that because I know I know you like him. and I know that you you broke bread with him and that creates a a connection. And so I was proud that you did that. However. Subsequently, we we talked and we both agree that he didn't answer your question. And in fact, there was only one response. So you asked him, hey, you said this thing during the, ba- the debate. Can you clarify, you know, would you do this thing? And he babbles for a minute. And then ultimately he's like, well, I'll put it to you like this. I wouldn't want my money going there. And that's how he answered your question. And then I, I responded. said my money. I think you just said, I don't want any state money. Like, he I, said I don't my, want any money. I wouldn't money. want my money. You could replay it. You can fact check that. Mm-hmm. Regardless. You and I both agree there was only one correct answer to that. Would you sign a budget that funded abortion? The answer is no. That was the only answer. He, got, he was given a second chance. He's a politician. He had to have known after the debate. That didn't look good. That didn't sound good. The social chatter says this. In fact, many people were posting on his page about it. So he knew. So he should have known coming into that, uh, that festival, I'm going to get asked this question, and I better have a response. So with even that preparation, he still didn't answer the question. He dodged it and ultimately didn't land the plane, right? And so, you know. So that one single issue, you think, is like. That's a, that, and that issue is of biblical proportion now. We're not talking about like. Yeah, I would, I would, you know, approve desalination or not, or I would put more police officers on the street or not, or I would, we're not talking about that. We can debate that all day long. But I think that when you, when you look at the, I mean, the Republicans in general, they're not an anti-abortion party. They never, they never have been. They've been, uh, you know, kind of like the democratic platform, safe, legal, and rare. 
Uh, Donald Trump, he's for abortion in some cases. Now, see, if you ask me, I'm in a faith. I, I don't believe in abortion in any case, but I vote for people that maybe they have a softer stance on it. Be, not not because I'm compromising. It's because again, we need to steer it in the right way. No, so, you, it, so your it's, option it's, is no. There's your option is there, abortion it, it's up compromising, to nine months. It's strategic compromising. Let's be honest. Like let's just be honest. No, it, it is compromising. But it, but it's not though. It so so go back to my statement. So he says, hey, there's an energy bill that needs to be passed. Um, the funding in that bill is the equivalent of a thousand abortions. Okay. That, I mean, sounds, that sounds that sounds that sounds about right. They're also so, not guaranteed abortions, though. The people still have it, to go out there and it, make it that choice. It doesn't matter. My point, it doesn't mean that you're going to go out and get one just because it's legal now, right? No, we. The, but the question didn't have those nuances in it, right? The question but was, would you very would you nuanced, fund though. abortion? That was the question. The no, answer, but the answer is simple. So, but abortion so, is also so already flip funded. So Anthony, though. how would you have answered that? I would have said, no, I wouldn't have. Oh, okay, Anthony. So so how would you have gotten around it? Oh, simple. It's called blue lining, blue penning. You basically can approve parts parts of a, of a budget and exclude others. You have veto power, so you, line item veto power. So basically, you can go in and say, "Oh, these hundred items, yeah, well, okay, line eighty nine and ninety, I'm going to actually veto those, and I'm going to actually approve the rest of it, and I can blue pen it." So there is a way for the governor to say, "No, I won't." I, that doesn't mean I can't get a bill, a uh, budget passed. It just means I'm going to use my power, my executive power, to actually veto by line the things that I disagree with. That's the right answer. And by the way, if California loved that answer, they can vote for it. If they hated that answer, they cannot vote but for it. California but California did love that answer because we just passed Proposition <clears throat> One. California but, but is an we're, overwhelmingly But we're talking about we're talking state. about the resistance, right? We're talking about Republicans. We're talking I understand, about but the resistance is small. No, in but California. the resistance Very is small, small because the resistance is weak. The resistance is. They, the, the reason we can like we can talk about why you know why there aren't enough votes and why we're not active, why we're weak, why we're on the sideline. But going back to that point, we we can we can uh, agree to disagree. But okay, that but, that so fundamental issue for me that was like I I was not prepared at that point to say I'm willing to sign my name on that endorsement. Because it flies in the face of every single thing I've said, I've promised, and I've stood for. I just won't. But earlier you said that you voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Donald Trump ran with the with the with the saying, "How do you feel about abortion?" He's like, "I'm personally anti-abortion, but there's going to be compromises up to 15 weeks if the if the, if there's rape, if there's this is that." So right now you can tell so he's everyone. citing law. So what's so what's he's, your he's citing law? Right. Okay. He's citing law. So, so, so even Brian could have cited law, and in one case, I think he did. No, but, but that wasn't said, said, But that no, wasn't he that, personally that, said he's okay with it in those instances. It's not citing law. He's saying, I do believe, I personally do believe, I Donald Trump do believe it should be except. So, I told you my stance. Are, do you agree with abortion up to like 15 weeks? Do you believe it in case of rape or, or incest? No, no. The, the, my position on abortion is that I'm against abortion, period. I believe life happens at, at the point of conception. So even my, with rape and incest? My, my, my negotiation with like when he was asked that on, on stage with Newsom, I would have turned to Newsom at that point and said, because Newsom gave the example of, so what you're saying is if there's a 10-year-old girl that's like raped by her uncle, whatever, it's the, it's, the, it's the weakest argument they have. You turn to them and say, okay, so if we approve like rape and incest, are we good? Like, well, no, we, no. If I, we do that, no, but I'm saying 
But that's why I'm asking that's you. What crumbles, even in cases of rape and incest, you're okay with no abortion. I'm, I'm not okay with it. But if ultimately, if if we as as an elected official, if to get legislation uh, passed, we had to say that for rape and incest, if I had to offer that on the table, right, for rape and incest, they wouldn't even take that. So it doesn't really matter. So your position needs to be continually no abortion. Right. I, I And again, I agree. So for the sake of an argument, let's just say Brian Dolly says one thing, but then in some cases, like, hey, we need to pass this budget or else we're not getting a budget passed. I'm just going to have to do, I'm going to have to vote this way. That wasn't right? the question, though. That wasn't the question. The bottom line is what But that you, was the question. They said, saw, if it what, means what passing you a budget. Saw, what you saw was a career politician who depends on that. That's the, that's the reason... I'm so against career politicians because that's their livelihood. I believe that it should be people from the, uh, from the marketplace to come in and serve because what you saw was the answer given by a politician knowing that in politics, it's all about compromises. And what he was saying was, if I have to do something, sacrifice something to gain something, I'll do it. Because that is politics. So what's the, only the, so pro- what's the, the problem between... is that what he was sacrificing, right, was life. But what's the difference between, okay, so you are telling me right now unequivocally, uh, you stand against abortion in all cases. There's no reason for abortion. I do. Which, which I agree with. I do. I, I also stand firmly in that belief. It doesn't matter what I think, however. People are going to vote what they vote. I yeah. mean, like I said, California just voted for Prop 1, right? What is the difference between not using that soundbite from Brian Daly and saying, you know what, I just can't do it. But then you look at Donald Trump who said, yeah, you know what, I personally do believe abortion should be legal in, in some cases. How, how is that not, you know, you would talk about compromise. <clears throat> how is that not a compromise if your full belief is, and this is what I'm saying about is we got to steer it toward the right direction. There was two options on the ballot, right? It, it wasn't, forget about Brian Daly, forget about Newsom. When you go down to the vote, the vote is, which option do you want? Do you want abortion up to nine months or do you want limited abortion? That's what's on the ballot. And, and you know, we talk about our families and our daughters and this and that. You have an option to make. And, and the third option is no vote. So you, you do nothing for it, right? To steer it in the right direction. <clears throat> so when I went on there and I voted Gavin Newsom or Brian Dolly, I'm not looking at the specific person. Men are flawed. P- politicians are politicians. And, and, and there's, you're never going to find that perfect candidate that perfectly aligns with you. I, I'm sure there's a lot of Christians that might disagree with you. They're, you know, so-called Christian, we can call them whatever, you know, whatever we want to call them. There's, you know, there's Catholics for abortion now. You know, there's nonprofit organizations called Catholics. You know, it, 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 we can sit here and argue about why it's right and biblically and this, this and that. But the fact is, you can disagree with Dolly on that one fact or, or that one point. But you also voted for a man who said, I personally am okay with abortion in these instances. So you're you're also assuming that like that was evident that like I had that sound bite, that he was out there promoting that, that I heard that, that I compromised, that I agreed with that, which is completely But even if you did absurd. no no, but even if you did, I wouldn't fault you for it. No, because I, I would think I, that you no, no, but I would fault myself it. for it. I would fault myself for it because it would be the same thing. So you wouldn't believed, vote for Donald Trump. Anymore. I believed then what I believe now. I don't know what Donald Trump's new like position, how he's gonna, how he's going to campaign. I have no clue what he's about to do, 
and as at this point, it's completely irrelevant. The, the issue is, I've always said this, right? God doesn't hold you accountable for what you don't know. He holds you accountable for what you do know. So it's, it's what you know at the time, right? So I don't, I don't, like, you're telling me things that Donald Trump said, and he didn't campaign on that. So if you're talking about a soundbite from somewhere he was, where he said something that you heard, and you're like, okay, maybe I didn't hear it. Maybe I mean, there's because, other things because I know I know my position is is strong. What right. I would have I would have rather have voted. F- you know, I know local politics are more important to me now than even right. national politics. So it would matter more to me now. I would have so I there's no one of the things that's super important is there are certain things you need to be consistent on and certain things you can compromise on. We can compromise on politics all day long, but at the end of the day. What I knew going into this election was that I was going to have to sit in that booth and cast my vote for a man who knowingly, who I know, who I was made aware of twice within the last two weeks, had said, hey, I'm OK with funding abortion if it means that I can pass a budget. I'm not OK with that because for me, what that means is, OK, God, you know that California is in dire straits. It's on fire. And I trust you, and I believe that you can change this. I believe that you can do something, but I don't see you. I don't hear you. I don't know. Like, I, I'm going to do whatever I can to manipulate the situation, and I'm going to go against your values, against your word, against my beliefs, against everything I've said, everything that I stood for. I'm going to go against it in hopes that my vote will help change the environment here in California that you can't and won't do on your own. And for me, I wasn't able to do that. There the, are so again, many people. But even, the option is, okay, do we want a million babies killed every month or do we want 10,000 babies killed? Like th- that, that's the reality of the situation. Nobody feels good about my, doing my, this. But, my but, point, but real quick, my point is, my point is, and I say this, we're, we're only judged by what we do in our life, right? We're, we're not going to be judged by what others have done in their lifetime. We're going to be judged for what we've done, right? So, what's closer to zero? What's closer to zero? One million go, or ten thousand? You go into Would the booth. Would we really leave the nine hundred thousand? You go into the booth. You vote. You get hit by a car on the way home. There are no abortions that happen between the time you voted and the time you got hit by a car. So your vote didn't contribute in any way, shape, or form. But now you're standing before God. He's like, hey, five minutes ago, what were you thinking? All right, well, I, so to see, that's that's you, you, but you, but you, that's not, you, no, but that's that, no, not but the reality though, because that, name me, no, that's, name me that's any rea- any politician that, that you is voted a reality, for, not though. just you, any listener. Send me a list of the people you voted for. I will find you a list of ungodly values and morals and things that they were probably willing to compromise in. <clears throat> and it, what you're basically arguing so, is that we should just never vote because no, the perfect person is never there. Not a, so you're going every to, person you're, is, go, you're is doing you're doing the 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 Jack Hibbs argument um, when he was basically propping up Larry Elder, right? And his excuse was, "Hey, Larry Elder's not Jesus." We're not hiring a, pa- we're not uh, electing a pastor. It was that whole mentality of let's look over here, right? Let's not, let's not hold him accountable. He's for abortion. He's for gay marriage. He's for all this. But hey, but wait a minute, guys, we're not electing Jesus here. That was their argument. Completely and utterly absurd. Like that's the argument. 
that because we're not electing Jesus, that everything else goes. Like everything else is fair game. Because but again, the if alternative it's not, is that is, much that's worse. Just, no, it's no, it's about character, compromise, and integrity. At the end of the day, here's what I can tell my daughter that you won't be able to tell yours, whatever. It's that hey, daddy stood for something and nothing changed that. Period. I mean, Nothing's nothing changed for me either. Nothing changed that. No, because when I tell my daughter I'm against abortion, but then I voted for a guy that would fund abortion, that's a contradiction. But then you allowed the man that killed more people through abortion wrong, to be elected. Wrong, wrong, be, wrong. Because you got to understand something. This whole ideology, I heard you say it too. Hey, if you don't vote for Brian, that's a vote for Newsom. That's not how math works, by the way. It's not how math works. Well, that's how voting works. No, though. that's not how voting works either. I non-vote for Brian does not add a vote for Newsom. No, but so, it, no, no, no. So it goes into so you, the incumbent so that's so already mislead. there. Don't miss Because you're not voting no, against No, it does them. not. Absolutely not. Let's do the math together, right? Newsom has five votes. Dolly has four votes. I go into the booth and I don't vote. What happens? Does Newsom end up with six votes? No. He doesn't. So no, what, but you could have been that what, fifth what I'm, vote. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is that 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 math is misleading, right? We, but you, it's not because no, 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 it, no. If I, enough if people you don't were to vote, vote if against you don't Newsom, vote for we Brian, could have saved more that babies. That is not a vote for. It doesn't work that way. If you don't vote for Brian, that's a vote for Newsom. Is is a completely misleading ideology that in is, the literal sense oh, well are we not talking literal now we're talking no well, okay because what i am <clears throat> we are talking literal. the same the saying goes if you don't vote for this person and you're voting for the, the other person because is, you're not voting the against the person crap. you're trying the to get rid of crap. this this it's, who cares i could give you a thousand sayings that right that you can they're metaphoric they're right? symbolic sure. they don't mean anything that's that's a bs saying as well it's 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 the uh it's the argument people use to guilt trip you into doing something that you don't want to do based on any any moral ground that you stand on. Telling somebody, hey, if you don't vote for Brian, you're voting for Newsom. Completely absurd. That's not math. That's not that's not literal. That's not logical. That's called guilt tripping, right? So, well, no, so because I've you, always told people, hey, if this is really your conviction and you really feel like you cannot vote, look. The evangelical vote is gone. The, the, if you want to talk about weak people in the week, I think, and I think you probably agree, the weakest megaphones that are out there is the church. Where is the church in all of this? Why weren't they fighting Proposition 1? Yeah. Right? But well, if the I wouldn't say is none were because we were fighting side by side with so no, many about, of those churches. No, I'm talking about the churches, body. like the, the, the priests, yeah. the bishops. Like This should have been, this is my belief, the entire church of California... The, 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 the bride of Christ should have been marching every single day, 100%, raising awareness 100%. about this is what we're about to pass. 100%. And again, I'm not saying that, hey, if you, you know, if you don't vote, then shame on you and you helped it. What I am saying is when it comes to politics, it doesn't matter who you vote for. Send me the person. I will find you a list of flaws or ungodly things that they've either done or the things that they've presented, the things that they've said. In 2020, may I ask, who did you vote for? Did you vote for Trump? In 2020? In 2020. Because prior to that, he had appointed the first Actually, openly honestly, homosexual honestly, man. Honestly, I don't think I voted in 2020. Okay. So, you know, again, it doesn't have to be necessarily Donald Trump. It can be any candidate. 
tell, look at a know, candidate and you're going to find... I kind of ruined your moment there, huh? No, no, no. no cause because I was I, cause say... I, you Because you thought you were going to get me there and then you realized I didn't vote. I Actually, I'm okay. Well, your saying... answer was kind of a non-answer because you said you probably didn't <laughs> No, I was vote. trying to think because I didn't want to misstate it because I wanted to be accurate. And I don't think in 2020 I voted because well, I that... I Technically, think, we don't I have an answer. Then. In 2020 was was kind of a turning point for me politically altogether because it mm -hmm. was the I, it was it was the year that I opened my eyes to the realness and that was of for a lot of people politics. Yeah. And I had been asleep prior to that, admittingly. So but uh, no, I think I was I was just kind of disconnected from politics in 2020. Um, but no, I didn't. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the bottom line is what I'm saying is like. You know, we we've all sinned. We all fall short. That's it's it's not a it's it's not a judgment on on Brian as a person. But what I'm saying is, we all have to stand for something, right? There yeah. are things that you stand for that I would probably say, oh, man, that's a that's a little much. I, I wouldn't go that far. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't have those same values. And there are things that I obviously will stand for. And you're like, well, man, that seems a little extreme. Which, by the way, oh. I told you earlier, like the way you ran your campaign, I would have literally ran a parallel campaign. I, you know, I voted for you as a delegate. I voted for you in the primaries. There's not much I can say about your campaign that I didn't fully agree with. I, I like your convictions. I, I like I, I like a lot of it. It's just when it comes to uh, the compromise stuff, that's just where I just don't agree because it's not just Brian Donnelly. This is the entire Republican Party. This is why it's dead. This is why I said because there's there's nothing that they really stand on anymore. They're about to vote this week or I think next week on the Senate so to what, codify. So what is the what is the what's the beginning of that change then? If they don't stand for anything and the party's dead, what is what's the beginning of a new? I believe it's conviction and I believe it's standing on uncompromising ground i believe that's our future i believe that's our future of the church i believe well it, it has to start with the church i believe it's the future of our party is it's to to get to that uncomfortable place of saying this is uncomfortable and it's unpopular but i answer to one person only and what would he have me do and it doesn't matter what you've done in years past. doesn't matter how you, whatever. All I'm saying is if we want a future, if the church is to have a future, if there's to be revival, if there's to be change, if, the, if there's to be uh, change in governance and, and politics, it's going to take the mentality and the approach of I am no, will, I'm no longer willing to compromise. I can no longer compromise because you have to ask yourself, why are so many of these things happening in California? Well, it's not even just California. Or just it's everywhere. Wide, everywhere. Right? Like, why are these things happening? You talk about a God that can take down a Pharaoh and it's like, why are we going through this? I truly, truly in my heart believe that it's because of compromise, that we have Correct. compromised too much, too many times. And I think we get caught up in trying to fix things ourselves we're so disconnected from a relationship with god that we look at things and say i need to fix this i need to do this you know if i compromise here and just do this it's you know i i i feel like the new day begins when we all wake up and have that same mentality of we're no longer going to compromise we're now going to stand firm in our belief and now we may lose elections right we may lose elections but what's going to happen 
is that we're going to see revival in the church. We're going to see revival in our land. We're going to see the next generation of kids look up to a whole nother group of adults that are saying, no, I will not compromise anymore. And from that youth, we're going to, we're going to birth leaders. Those leaders will eventually be in positions of power. And then we're going to have people in position of power that do not compromise. I, you said it so eloquently. I was, I was just about to say it all. St- the problem with what's going on in America. So, it so real fast, it doesn't start with the youth. It starts with us. Well, yeah, it starts within ourselves. It starts with us. Correct. Right? So America's so, problem so, is that it has a heart issue. It, people are trying to solve what's happened, the decline of society and where we are today. With, with They want government to fix it. That's the secular reasoning. That's why Democrats are so active because their hope is in government. They hope the government can fix everything that's wrong. That's never going to happen. And I agree with you. We should never compromise. To me, a modern day compromise is not necessarily voting for Brian Dolly so that we can save more babies in the long run. It is saying, you know what we need to do as a, as a political party? We need to start courting the, the, the pro-abortion people. Maybe we need to compromise and start saying like, hey, after you know 15 months, all right, yeah, sure, we'll do 15 months. No, never. It, sh- it should never happen that way. Or maybe we should start investing millions of dollars to court the LGBTQ community. What does God say about the LGBTQ community? I'm never going to compromise my values. I'm not going to start saying, oh, maybe we should just start allowing people that are not God-fearing to start leading our party so they can bring in that same degenerate left or Democrats into our party, and then we now have the votes. But what's the point if your party doesn't look anything the way Christians had built it up to up to be? And you're absolutely right. It starts first with us never compromising. Yeah. But but that's what I'm saying. But like, we also but we have to kind of land on what the definition of compromise means then. Because if you and I both feel like we didn't compromise, we're still missing it. Mm-hmm. We're still missing it, right? Because we took distinctly different actions, and yet we both sit here and say we didn't compromise. So there needs to be a standard. There needs to be a standard that doesn't come from you and I. There needs to be a higher standard. And if we look at that higher standard and say that's the definition, then we need to reflect and say, were my actions consistent with that? Were my actions consistent with that? If that's the definition of not compromising, or my actions consistent with that? At the end of the day, you did what you did, I did what I did, and we're still in the same situation. Right. Which, let's be very honest here, and I, and I think it's safe to say, and, you know, you, you can maybe rebuttal me a bit, regardless of who would have won the primary, California is just not ready for a Republican governor right now because I think it has to start at the grassroots level. I, I think california would have been ready for uh the type of republican that we were looking to create because the type of republican that we were looking to create is redefining the republican party altogether non-compromising moral standard um love like love like there's, there's an opportunity for the Republican Party to bring into the fold all of these independents and Democrats. Even though we have all of these issues that divide us, we're all created by the same creator. We all have th- with the same desires and the same needs. We just don't have leadership that can speak to a large group of people that are different 
and help them to identify the things about them that make them the same. And so I believe that California is ready for whatever we want to call it. If it happened to have been in Republican clothes, then so be it, but not Republican as you would normally define it because the Republican Party's dead. I think what we need is something new. We need, we need a party that knows how to bridge, that knows how to reach out, that knows how to motivate, encourage the youth to create a deep bench uh, of generations that we can continue to fill offices with. Um, people that uh, the young want to aspire to be like, you know. The Democrats do a good job of courting celebrities and attaching celebrities to their party, which makes the youth want to attach themselves to the party as well. The Republicans don't do a good enough job doing that. Look at look at the po- look at all the poster you know uh, people for the Republican Party. Like, how are you gonna get how are you gonna get the youth to aspire to be like any one of those individuals? We need people from the marketplace to come in and inspire the youth to want to come in, serve, and then to kind of go back into the marketplace and build. Right. So I don't know. I do think California would be ready for the right kind of Republican. Not. I, I, I agree that there's a lot of Republicans in California that are ready for your style of politics. I just don't think the entirety of California is ready. And again, I have to go with the way the state continues to vote. And I think a lot of the people that could have been in your favor or are looking to these style Republicans uh, you're right. They're never going to compromise. But unfortunately, a lot of those people have left California. Well, also. look at look at we could have made a dent. Right. So if we would have gotten the uh, GOP endorsement, no doubt we would have made it through the primary. So what that would have done is it would have given us a broader stage. Newsom would have done some of the heavy lifting um, and then the GOP, some of the some of the lifting. And we would have been able to take a new message to the masses. Right. And what is that message? Uh, non-political, you know, grandson of an immigrant, entrepreneur, came from nothing, had nothing, built something, family man, Christian. I, in, in advertising and marketing, like that, like what we get hired to do is to find that thing within each company that makes them unique and connect that to the consumer, right? If Brian, the GOP, everybody really, really cared about California, really wanted to uh, unseat Newsom collectively, what they should have done is sat down at a table and say, what, what is the story that we need to put forth that we think could actually take down Newsom? Think about it strategically for a second. Newsom, career, lifelong politician, white guy, elitist how do you combat that older caucasian lifelong politician or do you create a narrative that's so radically and entirely different that you now appeal not only to that audience which you're going to get anyway but to a broader audience now strategically if the gop was smart and 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 the other candidates really cared they would have looked at it and said guys Come together, huddle. Who has the best story? Who can pull this off? What's your what? That's the story. That's the narrative. But then, why wouldn't someone like Larry Elder, who kind of has a similar story? Obviously, not an immigrant. Obviously, not a Hispanic. But you know, he is a person. You know, 
that is in the minority group. He is, you know, coming in, and he lost to Gavin Newsom. I, I would say that no, but I would, what I was trying to say though is that. So in in doing that strategically and playing that game and saying, okay, you know, what what is the thing that we can present that would uh, that would draw the most amount of new attention, new eyeballs and, and momentum, right? So our story had everything. So if we go into the general, even if we lose, right? Let's say the outcome is the same, we lose. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to since I started the campaign a year ago, so in 2021, have said to us, I'm running because of you. I'm running because you inspired me to run. I'm running because, hey, if you can do it, I can do it. I'm running because I didn't think it mattered, and now I know. So think about what we could have done with our movement had we made it all the way to the general. The exposure, the visibility, the momentum the just the fire that we would have sparked either in a perfect plan would have won in a not so perfect plan would have and i i said this all the time would have would have cut the giant so deep that if he didn't if we didn't slay him then he would have bled out meaning we would have we would have created a momentum across the state that would have inspired so many people from the minority community, Hispanic community, business community um, to actually get involved. And so we don't know what the net outcome and impact would have been had we have been pushed through the general because, I, like I said, we were in it to win it and we were going to fight like nobody's ever seen before. But if we would have fallen short, we would have spawned stuff up throughout California that would eventually had seen the day. As we sit here today, what did, what ultimately, again, no, no fault, you know, I, I, I don't fault Brian as a human, but what did his campaign really change? Well, to his credit, and again, this is just objectively speaking, there is reports that Gavin Newsom got the least amount of votes for a gubernatorial candidate since 2010. And so you can easily argue he put the least amount of effort into his campaign than pretty much anyone in history. He did not campaign for governor here in California. Well, again, you, he was the, fighting. He's he's fighting Texas and he's fight, he's fighting DeSantis and Abbott because he wants to run for president. Right. Yeah. So if you say, hey, Newsom had like the lowest turnout, you know, of any Democrat running, whatever. Well, he also didn't campaign. If Newsom would have even used half of what was in his war chest, those numbers would have been way pumped up. He had no concern. He had no worry. He didn't campaign. So it's reflected in the numbers. But think about it. Newsom, all he had to do was get out of bed that day and look at the numbers that he got because he didn't campaign hard. I mean, look at the look at the debate. I mean, the yeah, debate I mean, was like hidden uh, on Sunday during football, like you gotta take isolated. You've got to take a look at California where the union's but, back. But on, go back to my question real fast on, on Brian. What did his campaign change? Well, I think that at the end of everything, whether it was Brian, whether it was yourself, whether it, it, the campaigns always serve to inspire, to remind people, okay. hey, there's always hope so in California. Do you, do you believe that that campaign inspired? When I read that report and I saw the gains that we've made in California, yeah, absolutely. 
I, I think, you know, and again, I, I cannot leave it to one person. What, to be what like, gains? Are you talking about the, the, the difference between the difference Newsom? Votes, the, the way be, because, are voting. Because he didn't campaign. Newsom didn't campaign. So I understand that. But not taking credit away from anything. But you, right. so you're, you're like a man on the streets kind of reporter. All right. All right. So taking that, do you think that campaign had anywhere near the impact that our campaign had? across the state. I, I think it's specifically when it comes to Republicans, I and because again, I can, I can only be speak from a personal point of view, I would have to look at numbers, right? Uh, to be nah, able to make could, that decision. You, you could go, you, you from what, you, from you what I saw, because I'm, in, because I'm in yeah. SoCal, obviously I saw a lot more support for your campaign. But like I said, then we hit NorCal. Okay, and but shifted. where's the majority of the population? I agree, but you need the entire state to yeah, win. Yeah, but we're not talking about that. We're, t we're not talking about what it takes to win. We're talking about what changed things. Campaign, the, the election's over. Do, do you feel like that that campaign, the effort the GOP, the CAGOP put in, or even Brian's campaign, do you think it changed anything? No. Like, again, you think more I'm... youth are inspired now? You think, like, you oh, know. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> okay. Do you think more Hispanics are inspired now, more blacks are inspired now? You think, you know, uh, more business people are inspired now? Do you think more churches are inspired now because of the campaign? But again, that's And I'm not... saying that, but that's what we were doing. And that's what I'm saying. Had it not been for okay, the but CAGOP here's, coming here's in. Here's a kind of argument, though. Carrie Lake. Uh -huh. I don't think anyone was more favored to win than Carrie Lake. She lost. You know, did you, she inspire? She but inspired. You guys are also, no, you guys here, are also listening to stuff with, within, within an echo chamber, too, because if. Well, if, not necessarily. I talk to a lot of Democrats, a lot of independents. Again, I look at the numbers from both sides. I, I have an audience that attracts all sorts of people. I try to be as objective as a journalist as I can. Yeah. Right. And so I, 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 but I get your to audience talk to people. leans right. Right, but yeah. that's why in person I also interview and I talk to thousands yeah. of people, right? And and I go on the street and I'm like, hey, which way do you lean, like Democrat? Oh, I'd like to hear your thoughts, right? And again, it it, it would be kind of a disservice to say, well, just a California GOP, the GOP in general, yeah, nationally did abysmal. Yeah, we didn't pick up a single Senate seat. Oz lost to Fetterman. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a national disgrace. So I don't think the GOP inspires just as a general. You're right. General. So what does that leave it up to? It leaves it leaves it up to the candidates. The candidates must inspire, right? Right. Parties aren't going to inspire. Candidates must. And so I just think that you know, there's that's what we were attempting to do. We were attempting to inspire. I think we did an amazing job doing that. There are people, and I think you both did. They were encouraged and inspired and. Uh, and, you know, again, I'm I'm speaking now not as a candidate, as, as someone who has to live in California now. Yeah. So when I look at how my sports team did, wh what sports are you into? Are you into any sports? I'll be honest. I just, I, I don't. So imagine, so imagine a politics. team, let's just say, because we're, we're in California. I like Giants. Let's say, I, I, let's I like say you the, like the Lakers. The Lakers. Sure. Yeah, let's I like the Lakers. Let's say you like the Lakers. If they lose the championship, right, as a fan, are you not okay to be upset? Of course. Yeah. Are you not okay to say, you know, freaking LeBron, you know, he, he milked that injury. He didn't, he didn't put up enough numbers. He could have played harder. Like, that's our right mm -hmm. as fans, right? We buy tickets, right? So as I'm sitting here as a business owner, a husband, and a father, and I look at what happened in California, I'm upset. I have every right to be. 
I have every right to call out Brian. He was my Lakers, right? He was our Lakers. He was the one that went into the championship for us. And it does it doesn't it doesn't mean that it, that you know individually any of those people are bad. It just means we didn't do what we needed to do. And if you look back on it and say, well, it's because like you know, the people that won were in the gym you know five days a week and you guys practice once a month. Like it's okay to question that. It's okay to say that's not okay. It's okay to say, you know, there was there was a lot at stake here. Could more have been done? Should more have been done? It's okay to say that. And I don't even want to make this all about Brian because it's not. Um, and by the way, if yeah. Brian were to call me today and say, hey, uh, I would love to sit down and break bread with you and your family and your sons. And like, let I would love to have lunch and get to know you, whatever. I'd have Anthony I would here. literally, mm-hmm. I'd take the call and I'd pay for lunch because it has nothing to do with him. Like right. I, like as a believer and just as a, a father I respect that. And I could sit down with him, break bread. I mean, like I said, his kids are amazing. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is he, he went into professional sports. And when you go into professional sports, you, you put yourself in, in the crosshairs of people to critique what you're doing at a professional level. And at a professional level, I think he failed to run the campaign um, that was needed to unseat the champion, right? And so that's just disappointing. But, but that's, like, that's just one aspect of it. Bottom line is I think the, COG, the CAGOP failed us even more. Mm-hmm. And the CAGOP is no longer irrelevant. And it's time for change. And I think that um, you know, we need to heavily consider the influence they had on this election. And we need to consider uh, just the change in leadership. 100% change in leadership. That's a really good segue into me asking you. You've hinted a lot about what you're planning to do post midterms. You know, obviously, whenever you post, I have a lot of your supporters that also follow me forward to me every, every yeah. little thing you post. So they're like, what do you think he means? Is there any way you know what he's going to do? Um, so I wanted to give you the opportunity just here, you know, if there's anything you wish to announce or anything, you know, just, I, I would what, just what say game con- conversations are, are, are happening and swirling all around me since I came off the campaign. You got to understand, you know, there are a thousand con- We all knew that the work still had to be done that we, I, I knew this was going to be the outcome. I think we all did. Even those that were, that were genuinely hoping and believing for change. I think we all knew at the end of the day. This was kind of going to be the outcome that we we're going to have. So we had to sit there and think about, okay, well, what do we do beyond that, right? What do we do to impact change outside of politics? And so coming off the campaign, I had a lot of conversations with regards to how to do it from the marketplace, business, influence, how to do it from the church, how to do it from, you know, just social activism, and then um, how to even do it from Hollywood and content. And so... Um, my initial conversations were just about how to attack this thing from the outside. So I recently started a a studio on day one studio. And what we're going to do is if you think about what's happening in California, there is uh, he who controls the narrative, right? Is master. And the, the Democrats and the people in power have done a really good job of controlling the narrative. They have made good, bad and bad, good. Right. And so how do we win in a society where, whoever controls the narrative controls the minds of people, right? You got to change the narrative and you got to take back control of the narrative. 
And so what we've done is we're creating the studio for the purpose of creating content um, that is uh, light versus darkness, right? It's, it's, it's putting forth content, documentaries, episodic TV, movies, and uh, things as such that are, uh, that are good, that we can get behind, that take back the narrative, that shed light on, uh, on what's wrong and what's evil. And we're working with people like Eric Metaxas on our, our first feature and things of that nature. So that's happening. Um, I have conversations with people in the marketplace, heavy influence of how we can leverage the marketplace and business to influence the politicians that are in place. And as all those conversations were swirling, I was trying to figure out, okay, what's next? Um, yeah, I started to grow increasingly more aware of the role that the CAGOP played in this election. Um, their irrelevance, their just, uh, the way it's, the, the fact that, uh, if we don't do something about it now, we're going to, the, and if you look at the, the Gen Z, uh, demographic that came out and voted and how we got basically none of that, the time to, to impact changes now. And so I started looking heavily at things that we can do to change leadership at the GOP level. And yeah, conversations have been going on for what that would look like, whether it's that we get behind someone that we think could, could take it over or whether, uh, I go and and decide to take it over myself. If if I decide if if <laughs> if I decide to do it, I take it because we would be relentless at pursuing it. Uh, the question is, do I want to do it or do I want to get behind somebody that I think can do a good enough job there? Um, at the end of the day, there's there's no option for the current leadership to stay in leadership in 2023. No option. So, so you plan on going to the convention? So, yeah. Regardless I mean, which way you go, like whether you decide to run for yourself for California GOP leadership or yeah. if you plan I mean, the bottom line is that the leadership needs to be changed out and we need to put somebody in place um, that reflects the, the next evolution of the party, right? Rebrand it, make it relevant again. I know I can do it. Now, whether, whether I want to do it personally or whether I want to support someone that's doing it, I'll let you be one of the first to know how that pans out. But the bottom line is that the conversations are already happening. Things are already in motion and that needs to happen. And uh, yeah, it's super important. I've, I, and, and I do want to make this clarification because I think that you had alluded to it in one of your videos when you were interviewing somebody about my support for the CAGOP and I want to make it super clear with regards to how I've supported them or, you know, funded them or whatever. And I want to make it crystal clear to you and to, you know, <clears throat> a few that may be watching. Um, we have never donated a single dollar to the CAGOP. So people talk about, well, we got receipts and, you know, it looks like, you know, it looks like a lot of people, you know, made donations to the CAGOP prior to the convention. In fact, hey, look at, you know, there's a lot of people's wives made contributions to the CAGOP prior to the convention. Nothing could be farther from the truth. It's actually misleading, completely misleading. So if you know anything about the uh, CAGOP convention, 
you know that it's a moneymaker for them. That if you get nominated to show up, your nomination doesn't doesn't allow you anything there, right? You gotta you gotta buy your ticket. You gotta buy a ticket for every single person that you have attend. You gotta buy your table. You gotta buy your booth. If you have a reception, you gotta pay for the reception. You gotta pay for every single thing, right? So when we get we got nominated to go into convention, I spent a couple weeks debating whether or not I even wanted to go to convention because I had been saying I don't need their endorsement and we can do it without. As I started to talk to people uh, uh, and go out and speak and and I realized that they were really counting on me to do anything and everything I could to win, I thought, well, okay, the CAGOP endorsement could help me. I realize now it how much power it had. Yeah. So we decided, okay, we're going to attend. But I'm I'm. I don't do things halfway. Like I, I go all in, right? So when we decided to go to the, to the convention, you know, they come out and say, okay, what kind of presence do you want? I'm like, I want to dominate. Like I want to dwarf everybody there. What are you, what are you, what are you offering? Well, you can do this. You can do this. You can, I said all of it, all of it. If I'm going to show up, I'm, I'm literally, I'm going to show up. Like it's going to be the Team Tremino show. So every single Every single dollar that went to the CAGOP went reluctantly. It hurt. Every single penny that I gave hurt. And every time we cut a check, it pissed me off and I hated it and it bothered me. But I knew, hey, we got to have a presence. I need to have my volunteers there. I need to have a booth. I need to have the best reception there. I need to. So none of it, not a single penny of it, was an actual donation contribution. It was an absolute requirement to attend. And you would find that on, on you know, everybody's records. I would never give a penny to the CAGOP as a, as a donation. They don't deserve it. I worked too hard for it, and I would never give it to them. So every penny that we had to give them, I gave reluctantly, and it was for my supporters, for us to have a show at the convention and have a presence and a dominate, and we did, and we were successful doing that. So prior to this convention, you had never, you had absolutely, never to abs- a- absolutely not. The only other function that I had ever contributed to was taking back the house, and that was because that was a national thing. It was a fundraiser. We went, and again, it was for the campaign to show up and to to meet donors, et cetera. And ultimately, I bought a ticket for a dinner for uh, take back the house, which was a national pack, right? But the CAGOP, never a penny, not a single penny. So this, all of this chatter about like, well, it looks like, you know, Dolly wasn't the only one that gave to the CAGOP prior to the convention. Look, and like, no, like that, that's the thing with, with not having information, not knowing what you're talking about. There's one thing that I want to say from the top of the ticket to the bottom of the ticket, right from Newsom himself all the way down to the guy that paid the fee just to have his name on the ballot. There's one thing we all have in common that these social trolls don't. And that's that we actually did something. That we actually risked something. That we actually put ourselves on the line to say, I'm not just going to talk about change. I'm going to put myself out there and try to impact change. So it frustrates me and bothers me that these people go on social media and they talk and they talk and they talk, never having entered the gladiator ring for a second. And so one thing I commend all of the people on the ballot for 
is because I know what it costs. I know the cost on you personally, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially. I know that. And it takes courage. It takes courage beyond somebody sitting on a social account bitching all day about this, that, or the other thing. It takes courage. And everyone on that ballot demonstrated more courage than a lot of these social trolls do. And just so you know, the cost, just, like you have to understand the, the, in, this, in the six months running for the primary, I lost more financially fighting for medical freedom for our first responders, then 99% of the population will make in a lifetime. Think about that for a second, right? We lost, I lost over the course of three months advocating. So I was advocating for medical freedom. I was advocating for our police officers, the firefighters, military teachers. In a span of three months, we lost $5 million. Number companies that fired us because I was being outspoken for medical freedom. $5 million. Average income across the United States, about $50,000. It would take someone 100 years to make that. Even if you make $100,000 a year, which most people don't, it will still take you 50 years. I lost more during those three months than anything these people can imagine. And I respect wholeheartedly anybody willing to put any amount of risk on the table like we did. And so to criticize me as a private citizen for criticizing uh, my potential elected official is completely absurd. It's a disgrace. And what the part that bothers me most is that the people were doing it, sat at my table, called me, my wife, my family, friends, and they're the ones that were the most outspoken, hypocritical, uh, misleading of all. And so I say that to get that off my chest, but at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, nothing they did and nothing they said changed my life one bit. And the unfortunate thing is that it didn't change their life either. They're still just as miserable. And so bottom line is, I've learned a lot from this experience. Um, we've had to cut some weight from people that don't belong in our circle. And thankfully, through the grace of God, we have added thousands, thousands of incredible, God-fearing, loving, amazing people up and down the state who are ready for what's next. And I just want to take a moment to thank every single person who supported our campaign, who volunteered, stood on street corners, who held signs, sold merch, who advocated, petitioned, that, that literally all of our volunteers, people on the campaign, people, um, pastors, you know, that, that risked so much to stand up and to support and, and to walk with us, people from the marketplace, Incredible, incredible people, incredible people. My life has been forever changed by this experience because of the people I met and the impact that I know we made on their lives. And you want to talk about change? Change happens the day that we grow a set and we actually start to do the things that are required of us, that we start living a life 
of non-compromise. You know, while we had the biggest coalition of churches in the entire state of any campaign, period, end of story. But there were also a lot of pastors and a lot of churches that stood with us silently who said, I would love, I would love to endorse you. I would love to support you. I would love to say something, but I can't, you know, 501c status, this, that, and the other things. And I'm like, I'm like, and by the way, some of them, some of them were ones that actually stood up in the pandemic and got fined. And I was thinking, wait a minute. So you would defy, you would defy those orders in 2020, stand up against the government, all that, but you won't, you won't go and from the pulpit, encourage your people to go out and vote and ultimately like to stand with, you know, someone that you have privately endorsed. The church is weak right now. The people on the pulpit are weak right now. And I think, I, you know, I, I think this is the great reckoning on the church. And I don't mean four walls. I mean the church body. I think this is the great reckoning. What's happening in California and across the nation is the great reckoning. It's God saying, as long as you continue to compromise, I'll continue to hold back my blessing. And the day that you wake up, the day you realize that you're not called to compromise, but you are called to take ground in my name for the kingdom, that is the day that the floodgates will open and things will change. And I think until we get to that point, we're going to continue to, to be in this rut until we realize uh, enough is enough. We're no longer going to compromise. It's not about me manipulating what I think I can change, but it's it's me utilizing the tools and resources that God had given me um, to be the change that we want to see and to rely on him through faith. So it's kind of full circle. I said a lot there. You no, yeah, listen, yeah. You've been listening pretty good. No, so. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, again, you make a lot of valid points. This is why I really liked your campaign. I was one of those people out there, you know, following your, your campaign around. I talked to a lot of supporters. Again, biasly speaking, I saw a lot, a lot of support. And, and a lot of people really enjoyed what you had to say, what you stood for. Etc. Um, I guess just kind of like wrapping it up now. What what I would say is, um, you know, you talked about what what, you, what you're looking to do on the private sector wise with the uh, light one studio on right? day one. So uh, on day one. so biblically, right on day one, what did God do? He separated the light from the darkness, right? right. So okay. like that's that. what we want to do: separate the light from the darkness, make good content that we can stand behind and, and get behind and feel good about and. So we are going to take the narrative away from Hollywood. So we're so it basically is a Hollywood studio in in this kind of new version of Hollywood because Hollywood has so much influence that we yeah. just we want to go in there and take back that influence and we want to take back that narrative. So we're doing that. And then you talked about uh, the California GOP. You haven't really decided if you're going to be the guy or change is going to happen. Somebody yeah. change is going to happen. I will be part of that change, no doubt. What about 2026? Give it a second go. Oh, we're not even thinking that far ahead. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, if God gives us life, right? I, and people ask me all the time as an entrepreneur, where do you see your where do you see your business in five years? I'm like, dude, I'm just I'm focusing on the next five minutes right now. Um, we don't live in a world anymore where like 50 years ago you could have planned out that far ahead, right? Technology is changing at a rapid tick. Society is changing at a rapid tick. Politics. So the idea that you can actually predetermine what, what you're going to do five years from now is kind of absurd. Um, I know that I'm not going back to sleep. I know that I'm not going back to normal. I know that I'm not just going to sit back and let things happen around me. I'm actually going to impact 
uh, and create change. I'm going to do it through the marketplace. I'm going to do it through Hollywood. I'm going to take back the narrative. I'm going to do it through politics. Um, I'm not done. We just got started. We just got started. We The movement that we started and we created, I mean, it's it's unlike anything I've ever experienced. And I'm super excited about what's next. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are just waiting for the word. So, so you're not leaving California either. What do you think? <laughs> I'm not leaving Calif. I'm not leaving California because I be. First of all, I'm not leaving California. Um, if and when I ever do leave California, it's going to be on my own accord, not because I've been squeezed out. I decided that a long time ago. That we're going to stay in California and fight as long as there's a fight to fight. There may be a day when there's nothing to fight for anymore. And I'll feel the ease and the ability to just walk away. But as of right now, I would leave too much behind. So I'm not. What would you say to people that say there is nothing left to fight for? I, you know, I'm sure you probably get it a lot. I get it who every would, election who, who cycle. Would, who would say that? So like, like... You know, people that are either leaving, people that have already left, people saying like it's just getting worse. Prop business one, owners, prop so one as a business passed. owner, I would say look around you, that's enough to fight for. As a parent, I'd say look down, that's enough to fight for, right? As a student, I'd say look ahead, that's enough to fight for, right? As a believer, I'd say look up, that's enough to fight for. There is okay. always going to be like enough that. to fight okay. for in California. All right. Well, with that, um, I just want to wrap it up. Where can people find you online? Where can they follow you? Where can they follow some of your work? I'm here to have a discussion with you. I have nothing to sell. People, <laughs> people know they well, can. People they, might want to. People can know tune that. In. Yeah, people can know that uh, we're on Instagram at Atramino. Uh, you'll put links in there. Yeah, of course. Connecting back to my page. Um, but yeah, I would stay tuned to what we're doing. There are going to be some big announcements coming up both in the uh, marketplace sector, political sector. Uh, so usually that's where I go first. I go to social media and just kind of, you know, go on a rant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I'll be ranting uh, very soon, and, and you guys can find me online. Okay, awesome. Well, for everyone still tuned in, thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in and, and listening. If you guys like this podcast, make sure you like, you subscribe, you share it with people. Um, you know, Anthony, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here. I know it was quite a drive with traffic, uh, but we really do thank you for your time. And well, uh, I do want to say this. I'm here to support you because ultimately we met early on in the campaign. And I think that uh, the work that you do is needed. And I think that I think that the younger generation specifically as we kind of narrow down into the Hispanic community. They need people to look up to. They need people to aspire to be like. There need to be more people like you going out there and, and being a trailblazer so people can say either I want to be like him or, you know, in a competitive say, in, in a competitive mindset, his yeah. mindset say, I'll, if he can do that, I can do more. Right. So we, 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 we need to be, you know, the, the rabbits and the carrots that people chase. And so continue to do what you're doing. Continue Thank to you. be unbiased in doing what you're doing and, uh, and continue to just be the light. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. So, uh, you know, keep the lights on. If you guys want to subscribe, you know, pay, become a paid subscriber. You can do it on Instagram, YouTube. You can sign up to my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash inform with Anthony. We got some merch at uh, informwithanthony.com over there too. That all helps keep the light on, keeps the producers happy. They're staring down my back right now to end this. But, uh, no. but uh, again, thank you guys so much. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share. And Anthony, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me.